Hello and welcome to Nobody's Coming to Fix You, a podcast for women, by women, talking all things life, empowerment and transformation. My name is Del Beer. I'm a businesswoman, sustainability advocate, industry leader in my field and have spent my whole career working in the fashion industry, working out what women actually want. I am the creator of the Sandsland Coaching and Transformation Programme and I am your host for this podcast. Joining me throughout the series will be lots of fabulous women and men too to talk about how we can share the best hacks to live our best lives. Hello and welcome to the Nobody's Coming to Fix You podcast with me, Del Beer. This podcast is brought to you by Santalan, a coaching and transformation program designed exclusively for women. In a departure from my usual setting, I find myself in the fabulous city of Mumbai rather than our familiar London studio. It's a truly stunning location overlooking the beautiful Juhu Beach and I'm really excited. Today's show takes a unique turn as I step into the interviewee seat and the lovely Anisha will guide the conversation. She will delve into my entrepreneurial journey in Mumbai, which proved to be a five-year roller coaster of experiences. Reflecting on it now, venturing into entrepreneurship in Mumbai stands out as the boldest decision of my life, and I'm immensely grateful for the courage that propelled me. Being here in Mumbai today, it felt fitting to record this episode, and I hope you find it really interesting. So Dalbir, um, as I said, lived in London, and she had a very successful life there. So. You've traveled all over the world with your career as well. And why did you then decide to pack that all in and move countries? Like you moved from London and suddenly decided to come to India when everything was going really well for you. What made you want to make that move? It's interesting you say it because you're right. It was going really well. I was working as a buying director. So I started my career as a fashion buyer. And then the more you progress up the ladder, you could become like a head of fashion, a director of fashion. So I'd got to quite a senior place. And in fact, I think that from leaving university to getting to a director, like I kind of got there in like 12 years or so. So it was very quick. But actually, it wasn't my career direction at that point I was really thinking about. I was really becoming focused on like my life direction. And I kind of had this fear inside me that maybe I would just get not bogged down in London because London's a great place to be and it's you know it's where I was born and it's where I live and all the rest of it but I was concerned that I might not get the opportunity to live a more interesting life a more diverse life and as a fashion buyer I had the chance to travel all over the world because you had to you were either in China and India making things or you were in Paris New York Italy shows and things like that so I love traveling and I loved experiencing different cultures and I was always thinking is there a chance that I could live amongst a different culture because I was only ever going in for a week or a month at a time or whatever so that was one reason I was interested and the other reason was I'd only ever worked for people I'd only ever been like a corporate employee and you can be really successful in a corporate setting but actually can you be an entrepreneur can you cut it on your own Can you do everything from end to end? So I didn't know whether I could actually cut it as an entrepreneur. So partly I wanted to experience living in a different country and partly I wanted to see whether I could 
do it. And I would say I would never recommend to anybody to do both of those things at the same time, actually. <laughs> Generally, one or the other is a good idea, would be the moral of the story, not both together. But yeah. How important it is for us to also focus on like life decision over career decision. I don't think we do that enough, do we? We absolutely don't. I think the thing is, we leave school or we leave university, we know what we want to do with our career. And then I think we're just so fixated on those kind of pillars that we set ourselves and the goals that we set ourselves. But I think life passes you by whilst you're kind of like working through these career pillars. And I think for me, there was this moment where I just thought, I'm just in danger of just settling down in London now without ever having had this chance and this experience. So uh, I just kind of shocked everybody because at the time I was like the youngest director in the company. So I was seen and perceived as being quite successful. So for me to say, thanks, but no thanks, I'm taking my bags and I'm off to another country. Everyone was quite surprised, but you know, it's a good thing to do. So why did you choose India of all the countries and Mumbai? This is interesting. I mean, at the time, everybody was talking about four countries. They were talking about Brazil, Russia, India and China. Now, I've never been to Brazil and I hadn't been then and I actually still haven't been yet. Russia, I never wanted to go and live in anyway. So that left India and China. So then that wasn't really that difficult a decision, right? It was always going to be India over China. I think what was harder was Mumbai versus Delhi. I think that was a big one. And um, I should just check, is there anyone from Delhi here? <laughs> just making sure that I don't get cancelled in India. But uh, but no, but I think that um, the Mumbai-Delhi thing was super important as a woman, I think, because I felt that Mumbai was a very free city. It was a very relaxed city. It was very, I think it was just very female friendly. And I really felt like myself and other expats um, that lived here, we all could just be ourselves. We were very relaxed. Whenever I would go into Delhi, that was a different experience. And I don't know whether that's still the case now. I don't know whether it's changed. And I remember one time having a meeting with the editor of Cosmopolitan, and that's based in Delhi. And she was running late and I said to her, oh, that's okay, I'll just wait in the bar for you, you know. And she said, no, 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 don't wait in the bar for me. That's not what we do in Delhi, you know, wait in your car until I get there. And I was like, this is very surprising. So this whole Delhi versus Mumbai for me was all about where would I feel the safest? And I think I felt really safe in Mumbai and still feel really safe in Mumbai. So Mumbai won. Do you feel safer in Mumbai than London? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely do. And, and I used to always say that, actually. We used to take ricks and, you know, walk home from like bars in Mumbai. But in London, we will get off the underground at a certain stop where we know we can get into a taxi to get home. So I definitely think that Mumbai is safer than London. So you decided to make the move to Mumbai after doing, you know, you were in a great position in your career. And then you also decided to start your own business in a foreign country. So what business was it? And I mean, I did mention it's Boudoir London, which is a lingerie brand. But what made you want to start a lingerie brand business in Mumbai? A lot of my work as a fashion buyer had been in lingerie and swimwear. So as a fashion buyer, you normally get given one product category and then you become a specialist in that category. And then you kind of get pigeonholed in that category. So you have to kind of stay in it. But actually I love lingerie and swimwear. So I was very happy to be in that category. 
the reason why I brought Boudoir London to India was because back then we were coming to Mumbai all the time on business trips and whenever I would meet female colleagues and businesses here and I'd be like where are your lingerie stores the answer was always the same there is not a lingerie store in Mumbai and back then there wasn't a single lingerie store in Mumbai and I was just like this is impossible that this is a city full of the most amazing beautiful glamorous women who spend so much money on their clothes and look fabulous but there isn't a lingerie place for them to go and then I was like really curious I was like well, where do you get your lingerie from? And then they would be like, oh, there's these kind of like mom and pop stores, these kind of convenience stores, you know, and you go there and what happens is somebody just gives you something. And I was like, this is insane. Like, you know, the idea of a man being near a lingerie environment is so strange because it's so, you know, it's it, it basically needs to be women serving women because it's an intimate experience because you are actually measuring people and you're getting them in and out of lingerie and actually at the same time in the UK we were becoming quite advanced because we were really into the concept of bra fitting and measuring people and making sure that everyone had the right lingerie and that's why it was called Boudoir London because I wanted to bring the London experience to Mumbai. I called it Boudoir because it really was a message to say this is a place for women only I mean, men were allowed in the store. It's not that they couldn't come in the store. But the thing was, it was that what we wanted to do is say to women, you can come in here, you'll only meet women, you'll only be served by women, your whole experience will be with women. It'll be a very luxurious environment that you'll be in. And all the brands that we sell all come from London, hence the London part of it. And I think that when you come to a new country to start a business, then you really need to know who your audience is. And I think it's really important that you know that you're creating something that they need and that they actually want. Because so many businesses are created by people who think they might know what people need, but they don't necessarily do the research. And I was like, I cannot believe that if I launch this store, women will not come to it. Like, it's impossible. Like, they'll have to come to it because there's no competition. So that was the reason for it. So what was the experience when you opened the store? Like, what kind of responses or reactions were you getting from the women in the city? It was amazing. From the beginning, it was amazing. And I think what was fantastic was every woman that got to find out about it loved it not just loved it, came to the shop, converted into a customer. Like, because, you know, everybody wanted this experiential retail. They wanted an experience. They wanted to know that they could come in thinking that they were a 38B or something, but they would be leaving a 32F or something, you know, wearing lingerie in sizes that they'd never even heard of before. So, you know, suddenly they were that size and there was a product available for them. So whoever came, not only converted, but was a proper convert because then they started realizing, oh, so I need to be wearing a different bra for sports. I need to be wearing a different bra with my kind of like cutaway sari blouse. And I need, you know, like I need to have different bras for different occasions, like a wardrobe. So they were great, but actually I kind of thought the city is so big because you have to remember it was a little bit before social media and the power of like building a digital brand. We weren't quite there then. So I decided that what we needed to do is really focus on PR. And that was our biggest opportunity. And I already had a PR manager in Mumbai and she was getting some good PR. But one day I went along to meet Satya Saran 
and she used to be the editor of Me. Does Me still exist? The magazine with DNA. No. Does DNA still exist? No. The newspaper. No. Oh, really? Oh my God, that's how long it's been. <laughs> but so DNA was then probably at the second biggest newspaper. It was massive. It was a huge newspaper, and they had this like Sunday magazine. And I met up with this Erin and I said, look, this is what I'm doing. And, and she was really excited by it. And she said, look, I know what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a column in this magazine. And I was like, oh, OK, like thinking I'm not really a columnist. I'm a lingerie buyer. Like, what would that be? And she said, and you're going to write about lingerie every Sunday, every week. And I'm going to call it lingerie doctor. And I was like, oh, my God, this sounds a bit mad, right? You know, anyway, I went along with it. And the funniest thing is, the week that the first article went out, I didn't even think that there would be a lot of interest. I wasn't even in Mumbai that day on that Sunday. And my flatmate, and I had this friend that also came from London, Celinda, she's amazing. And she had offered to work in the shop that day because it was a Sunday, Sundays are usually quiet. So I was like, I just need to get away for the weekend. Do you mind doing it? She phoned me up and she said, yeah, I don't want to alarm you, but there's a lot of people standing outside your shop, right? And I was like, oh no, like what's happened? Have we got ourselves into some kind of trouble or whatever? She's like, they're all kind of holding on to this like magazine, right? And they're saying they've come to meet the doctor. And I was like, oh my God, right? And it was like the beginning of a really mad time. And so the lingerie doctor became a really big thing. And honestly, from that moment, the business was just on its way because then people were coming from all over Mumbai. You know, originally we were just attracting all the Juhu types and all the Bollywood people, the stylists for the kind of like films and everything. It was all of those people. Once that article was out every single week and then we would always do these interesting articles like your kind of holiday lingerie wardrobe, your kind of honeymoon you know, lingerie wardrobe, you know, wedding season lingerie wardrobe. It was always tips and tricks and easy hacks. And I think people like that kind of thing. So that's when it really turned around. But I would say it was not, that's all made, I've made it sound like it just kind of, it kicked off immediately and it was fantastic. It was really difficult as well. It was really, really hard. And I think one of the really hard moments was when I just opened the store and I had a visit from the eunuchs and they turned up and I never experienced anything like this in my life before. And they basically said, we've come for the money. And I was like, what money? And they were like, well, this is Juhudara Road, is our patch and you're on our patch, so you need to pay. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not paying you anything. And then they were like, no, 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 you're gonna pay. Anyway, they came back three times. And the third time they said, the next time we are gonna smash your windows. And I was absolutely like petrified because I dealt with a lot of tough businesses in London and I had a lot of like tough people that I work with as well. But actually somebody that was actually trying to extort money out of you. And I was like, this can't be happening. And I remember saying to the neighbors in the shops nearby, should I just call the police? And they were just laughing. They were like, no, this is not a police matter. The police are never going to get involved in this. You know, that was a really crazy moment. And in the end, it was a lovely guy who was in our shop called Imran Khan not obviously the cricketer Imran Khan I mean that would have been a brilliant story actually but no it's, it was an, another Imran Khan and he basically handled them he handled them he met them and he did some kind of deal with them 
and they came with like this felt tip and then they left a mark on the brickwork outside my shop literally like this shop is now protected and i never saw them again yeah actually it's considered quite like auspicious as well like when they come and then you know you give them something and they give you their blessings i don't know how much of it is true not true i am not really superstitious as a person but a lot of it happens even when a newborn child like you see that a lot in like bollywood films as well and you know the eunuchs will come and celebrate the birth of a newborn child and then you'll give them some money and they'll give you like a blessing and you know and then they'll sort of leave that was my impression of them too because you know i'd been to weddings in the punjab and that before like with my family and that and they would come and you know you'd always give them gifts or whatever but actually it was quite different in the business sense and it really was if you don't comply then we will take the necessary action and i was like okay that's quite different actually but yeah there were some hiccups like that but you know we got through them yeah i think it's also interesting i mean i'm a 80s kid so i definitely was uh, very much um introduced to social media it's not like i was born into the age of social media myself and to start a business in like a non social media time even though i was a kid back then i find that really hard to like wrap my head around right now because it's pretty much taken over our lives hasn't it i think that's a thing you know for you it's just native because it's been there from day one but i think that yeah it was really difficult because it was like i was thinking at the time you know how many people live in mumbai is it like is it 20 million or something is it thing 22 okay it's a lot of people in a city and at the time i was thinking i can't afford billboards and i didn't even know whether the idea of doing lingerie billboards was even a good idea like whether it would go down well so it was like the only really big thing that was happening in mumbai at the time was billboards and outdoor campaigns so that wasn't really a possibility we couldn't afford really to go into the digital magazines either and then in the end we just had to do interviews all the time we just did loads of interviews and i think that's one thing that worked well because the press were always looking for a story and they were always looking for me to do the work for them so they'd always say oh like you can have that full page in like midday or something if you can just write a story about something and i was like yep sure i can do it i think now it's the other way around they're inundated with so much of information that they probably miss half the people that reach out to them to write about like any of their brands i think it was such a different time and i'd come from london and i was this person that was sort of like standing out and it was a bit unique and i think they just thought she's a bit of a content machine she can just generate all of these stories for us and we'd get something fresh and different so it worked for both of us actually so it was good we were chatting earlier a little bit and you were also involved in the terrorist attacks in 2007 and that's something we touched upon very briefly because i just wanted to know a little bit of context behind who she was before i started like interviewing her for this podcast so where were you when that happened and how did that impact you The interesting thing about that night was that I was never meant to be there but I lived in Juhu as much as my shop was literally yards from here like this is the funniest thing that I today walked to my shop and my shop is the shop that is now called Misaba that was Boudoir London so that was my actual store that we completely renovated and everything so I was a Juhu girl I love Juhu for the people that are listening to this who are not from Mumbai I think it's important to sort of stress that there's two parts to mumbai really there's the kind of north juhu bandra part of mumbai which is kind of very cool and where soho house is where there's a lot of like celebrities and creatives i'd like to think and then you go south and for me i always perceived it as like old money corporate 
more traditional businesses and you know maybe that's too much of a generalization but that's kind of how I saw it so I always like being up on the north side so on that day I was only meant to be there at lunchtime for a meeting and the person that I was meant to be meeting had come from London and she mismanaged her sort of timings for the day because in Mumbai you can get like really waylaid with the traffic and things like that and she sent me a message at about three o'clock saying I'm really sorry I've messed up the day do you want to come to the sea lounge at Taj and have dinner with me instead and I was thinking oh because it's such a long way you know and it takes ages and there's traffic and all the rest of it and I didn't want to go but she's only there for one day so at the last minute at like four o'clock I agreed got ready got in the car drove downtown and went to the sea lounge and we'd only been in there for about half an hour when everything started happening it was such a crazy awful experience I think it was like probably about after the first explosion when I finally sort of said to myself oh my god I am in a terrorist attack that was the first time when I actually realized what was happening and up until then I just thought maybe it was the police versus a gang I knew there was a lot of gunshots and there was a lot of machine gun fire but I didn't know what it was but what I would say is I've never really talked about it to be honest I've never really discussed it but one thing I would definitely say that I thought about a lot afterwards was the staff at the Daj Mahal Hotel. I always have been in awe of those people because they could have just left. I mean, they knew all the ins and outs of that hotel. They stayed like as if we were their family. They didn't move. It was like they had been prepared for this day. It's like they'd been training for this day. They were so calm. They were so collected. And I remember it and then finally when we were just actually able to escape and we had to come out of a window down a ladder. And I remember being like the first person to come out. And then I was just a bit scared because I was like, I don't really know where the enemy is. Like, I'm not sure. And I remember one of the Taj guys saying, no, 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 let me go first. And he wasn't going first because he wanted to escape, but he was going first because he was like, I'll handle this. And they were just amazing people. It was just surreal that they were so calm. It was so horrific what happened, you know, and then I suppose you just have to kind of get on with your life. And I stayed in Mumbai for a couple of years afterwards. A lot of people thought I would just pack up and leave. But no, I didn't actually. I mean, I think you all process things differently. And I kind of just got on with it. So you've had quite a journey in Mumbai, coming here out of the blue, starting a business, going through all these experiences while you were setting up encountering a terrorist attack as well which definitely leaves an impact um, on anybody what do you feel this city has taught you while you spent your time here oh so much so much i think mumbai actually is responsible for so many of the good things that actually happened in my life in the end because i think that on the one hand i feel like it was very empowering for women I don't know why I always feel that Mumbai, I feel like India is actually very empowering for women, right? But I think that Mumbai was really empowering. But I think there was this kind of like freedom of just like, you know, just try it, just get on and just do it. And I think because we had so much success with like PR and this and building the brand and all the rest of it, it gave me that confidence that, you know, if you want to do something, just do it, just try it. Like what is the worst that's going to happen? Maybe it doesn't work out, right? Maybe you lose a little bit of money. Maybe you lose a little bit of time. But actually, 
you're not going to have the regret of never having tried it. So I feel like in my time when I was here in Mumbai, I just met loads of people who were just really dynamic and creative and were just always throwing themselves in and just trying things. And it was interesting when I went to Zalando in Berlin and I had this really big job as vice president for women's wear and then for all of the categories. And I remember once saying to them, like, you know, what was it about my CV that attracted you? And they said, oh, it was your time in India. We thought if she can go and do this in India, then, you know, she can come to Berlin and then run our business. So it was really interesting. And now, actually, as I get older, I think whenever I'm in a situation where I think this is hard or this is tough, I think somewhere deep down in my sort of subconscious, Mumbai is kind of there sort of saying, nope, you can do this. This is not difficult. So I think it liberates you and I think it gives you courage. And I think this is why when I talk to people now about what to do in life and whatever, I always think, Try and get as many experiences as you can, as early as you can in your life, because they will serve you well. And I think the confidence that it gives you, you know, the courage it gives you, experience it gives you as well, it, it will serve you well. You said that you're getting into like the whole business or field of coaching, right? And it's all about striking that balance. Balance is so important, something... I mean, I'm definitely struggling with right now, but I know the importance of it, but I also know that I'm struggling with it. But like, how do you strike the balance in your life? If I'm really honest with you, with great difficulty, I've started this business and I am learning myself as we go. And actually this word, it's called Santalan. Well, in London, we call it Santalan, but it's actually the Hindi word, Sandalan, right, which is balance, right? So it is named after a Hindi word. And the reason why it was balance was what we went after was because you can be really successful in your career. You can have a fabulous job or you could have a fabulous relationship or a great family or whatever. But actually, there's always something that's not quite right. There's always something that we can't get the balance on. And I think that's the thing that we're trying to do with Sandalan is to say, okay, how can you be happy at work, happy in your personal life, happy with the way that you look, happy with your health and well-being, all of those things. We had to bring all of those things into balance. And I think that's going to be the thing that if we can crack it, we'll have done something quite good because I think that I know how to be successful at my job. I've done it for a really long time. But, you know, be successful at my job and be a good sister, friend, girlfriend, whatever, all of those things as well, that's actually much harder. So I think it's just balances much harder to get than we actually think. You also moved around so many countries. So that constantly meant being separated from your loved ones and forming new relationships. And I think that's the hardest thing I battle with whenever I want to, at least at this age in my life, it was easier for me to be more spontaneous in my 20s. But now I feel like I get a bit more emotional about being separated from like my loved ones. And that's why I might not take that step towards doing something which could be something I really want to do, but might also have me start fresh in a completely new place or face loneliness or be alone. So how did you deal with that when you moved around? Did you face that at all? Oh, totally. Oh my God, the loneliness in Mumbai. I can't tell you, like I, I literally was friendless for 
I think probably six months or something. And the thing is, I had never experienced that because you grow up with your friends from school and then you go to university and you have those friends and then you have like friends from like your hometown. So you all have this big community of friends that have always been in your life. Suddenly you come to another country and you're like, I don't know a single person in this town. And the funny thing about Mumbai is, Honestly, this is, I don't want to sound tragic here, but it felt like nobody wanted to be my friend. Like I, I couldn't sort of like connect with people. I don't know, maybe I was just, people would say, oh, she's that foreigner. And I'd be like, oh no, I'm really nice. Honestly, like we can go out for a coffee, right? My friends used to joke about it because we have this phrase in the UK called Billy No Mates. And I would always be like, I'm Billy No Mates. And until I met a friend called Rachel who had connected herself to almost the entire Mumbai expat community until she came into my life. Honestly, my biggest issue was not running the business, funding it, the eunuchs, anything like that. It was having somebody to go out with and socialize with. So actually friendship and loneliness is such a massive thing that you call out here. It was a really big deal. And in Berlin as well, I mean, I'm so happy we're doing this at Soho House because Soho House, I've been a member for 10 years and it's been part of my journey. And I keep that membership because whenever I start something new, I always end up kind of falling back into this. But I remember when I went to Berlin, there were hardly any British people there in the area of Berlin that I was in. There were not very many non-Germans who were women and there definitely weren't any Indian people. I mean, literally, like, I was probably the only person for like a year, it felt like. And coming from London, which is so multicultural and is such a welcoming place, I think, as a person of colour, I didn't feel that Berlin was like that. So I used to go every single night to Soho House Berlin to have my dinner. Like, literally, that's the only place I felt comfortable. And then the manager there was so cute and he sometimes used to wait to have his dinner so that he could have it with me because he was probably thinking, poor cow, she's got no one to have dinner with. I'm going to have to have dinner with her. But you know, like, I think that's one thing I would really say. It's easier now though, right? Because again, digitally, if you come into Soho House now, I guess on the app, even here in Mumbai, it would tell us how many members are in the house today. You can work out who's here. You can set your preferences to, you know, you want to talk to somebody or you don't want to talk to somebody. That's just so different to when I was in Berlin or something. But still, every time you move out of your comfort zone and you start something new, building relationships is something you have to think about. And it gets harder as you get older, which is why I think when you're younger, you should be really brave and bold and just go for it. Yeah, and that's exactly like that's one of the reasons why I think twice about like maybe wanting to move somewhere else or like wanting to try something new, which I would do a lot more easily when I was in my 20s because I'm just like, what if I'm not going to make new friends where I go? And I don't know if that thought of that would be okay for me. So what advice would you give to people who are probably in their 20s and a bit more spontaneous? But what advice would you also give to people who are in their 30s or slightly older, just from your experiences and this entire conversation we were having about taking more risks? I would really say work out how you want to show up in life. Think about your values, think about your purpose, think about what you want to stand for and crack on. I think that your 20s and your 30s are the best years for you to do as many adventurous things as possible. Often when you've got 
kids and a partner, it's difficult to relocate families. It's difficult to move people to different places. So I would just say, be as bold as you can. I think it is important to consider all of the things that we talked about, like community and your well-being and your mental health and all the rest of it. There's really no point taking a bold, courageous step and then being really miserable and then coming home after three months feeling really defeated and feeling that you failed. But I think that generally, in my 20s, I kind of had the what could possibly go wrong attitude, right? Which I must admit did get me into a lot of trouble, right? So, but probably better than what could possibly go wrong is probably how bad can it be, right? So yes, things will go wrong, right? But you can just kind of manage the risk. And sometimes I would say, look, I'm gonna try this and I'll see, and after six months, I'll give it six months. When I went to Berlin, it was really interesting because I was actually meant to go to Australia. And then just before, as I started my Australian job, a company in Amsterdam offered me a job. And I thought I'd take that one because it was closer and I'm close to my family and Australia was too far. I really wanted to go to Amsterdam, but the job in Berlin was actually much better for me than the one in Amsterdam. So at the very last second, in a very flaky moment, I switched to Berlin. And for months I kicked myself because I was like, I made the wrong decision because I was so miserable. I really think for the first three months in Berlin, I was like, I'm gonna have to go home and tell everyone that I didn't do this job, I didn't do this job, and I chose the one that made me really miserable and really unhappy. But you know what, actually, three months was really kind of tough. Six months got easier. After six months, I'd employed loads of people that I was more closely aligned with, who I shared values and ideas with. And we went out, we had more of a social life. We built a community in Berlin, everything changed. So I think that I would still encourage people just to kind of do as much as you can, because I was just saying earlier on that I only came into Mumbai this morning. And as we were driving in from the airport and I was looking around, and I just, this question came into my head, could you do this today? Could you now come with your suitcase and launch a business? And the answer is a big fat no. I wouldn't do it now. I wouldn't have the courage now. I already don't think I have the courage now. So I think as you get older, that does start to dissipate. So that's why I always feel like grab it whilst you're younger. So what's up next for you? So I think this period of coaching is really interesting. And so what I did this year, I decided to go back to college and train as a coach. So when I get back next week, I have got some assignments to finish, which I'm dreading because if I don't finish them in two weeks time, I'm not gonna pass my exams. But I think that I'm really interested in empowering women and really getting women to kind of live their best life and to feel supported and to really kind of have balance as we discussed. So created Santalan, which is a program where you go on a retreat, you go on this like four day intensive retreat. And then for 12 months afterwards, you have coaches supporting you to help you get to your goals. And that's quite a unique program. And then we've launched the podcast and today is the official launch day of the podcast. So it just dropped today. So that's going to be very exciting. And we've interviewed in about four or five interviews already, but we've got about another six or seven already in the pipeline. So I think the podcast is going to be really interesting. The podcast also is another entrepreneurial idea. We've done four already. But the idea to become a podcaster is only about five weeks old, to be honest, five or six weeks old. It's a really 
new idea. I have not been thinking about this for a long time. I did not create a business case or a business plan or anything like this. I literally was just like, I think this will be a good thing to do. I think this will be interesting. Let's try it. And again, the attitude was like, what's the worst that can happen? How bad can it be? If I really don't like doing it, I'll just stop. But yeah, so I just threw myself into it. And it's home, London. Where's home now? London. Now it's London, yeah. And I think after five years in Mumbai, five years in Berlin, I think I'm allowed to go home now. And I travel a lot anyway, though. But I do want to stay in London now, I think. Okay, that's amazing. And what inspired the name of the podcast? I wanted to call it this because it was like, I wanted to say to women that, you know, don't sit there dwelling on your life. Don't sit there thinking that somebody else that's not you is going to come and bring you all the solutions that they're going to turn up and say, okay, I've done this for you. I've prepared this for you. I've made this happen. It's your life. It can be anything you want it to be, but the only person that's going to make that change is you. And so that's why it's called nobody's coming to fix you because whatever you want to be and however you end up, you are largely responsible for it. And it's a kind of a very gentle kick up the backside that we sometimes all need just to kind of like say to us if I want something to happen in my life then I need to make it happen it's true easier said than done sometimes but it's so true you have to do it yourself no one's gonna come do it for you so yeah thank you so much Dalvir that was absolutely amazing and for giving me the opportunity to know a little bit more about your life I really hope you enjoyed this very special episode of nobody's coming to fix you from Soho House Mumbai Quitting my job in London and moving to Mumbai to launch my own business was one of the most courageous things that I've done and I'm so grateful to be able to reflect on my experience now. Mumbai will always have a very special place in my heart and if you've never been, I would definitely recommend it. If you think that you might like the idea of changing career and becoming an entrepreneur or moving country to set up a business or a new life, come and talk to one of our Santaland career and business coaches at our retreat from the 19th to 22nd of January at the Wilderness Reserve in Suffolk. As always, the podcast is available on our website. And if you want the links to anything that we discuss, then please log on to www.santaland.com. If you have any other questions, please feel free to leave us messages on our socials at Santaland Coaching or on our website, www.santaland.com. Until the next time, take care and remember, nobody's coming to fix you because you already have the power within you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Nobody's Coming to Fix You. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please follow us and subscribe for future episodes. If you have any questions about the content of this show, all the details will be in the show notes. You can also reach out to us on Instagram and TikTok at Santaland Coaching. Nobody's Coming to Fix You is brought to you by Santaland, a 12-month coaching and transformation program for women. To learn more, please go to www.santaland.com. I'm your host, Albia. Until next time, stay well.